Aki. Nagana go meko che chase the kom Aki. Or in my language, de kots nagotine siku. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. I'm speaking to you on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S. Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September uh, 1870, signed September 22nd, 1877, with signatures that include the uh, Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley Chiniki, and Bears Paw Nations of the Stony Nations, and the Dene from Sutina Nation. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. As it is Pride Month, I, it's important to understand that the straight agenda and gendered violence was, was and is forced on these lands by Christian outsiders. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating safer space for Indigenous as well as honoring the host as a guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner in a so-called time of reconciliation. It's important land acknowledgements have meaning. I encourage all to introduce themselves with their acknowledgement of their ancestors, stories of displacement, and how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of Canada, a refugee, other land displacement, so that we as Indigenous people know how safe you are to be around. If you don't know how to pronounce your local Indigenous nation's names, if you won't say your pronouns, you won't say your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, uh, imposed economic oppression or your role in reconciliation, I determine how safe you are to be around my family, my community and myself. Understanding land acknowledgements and their importance is Indigenous 101 because it immediately addresses colonialism, oppression dynamics, broken treaties and lies taught in today's Canadian schools nationally. That is why settlers and those who I call themselves native Calgarians show me that you have no Indigenous 101 understanding. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Great Bear Lake tribe in Treaty 11. My people wore rabbit skins, so we've been referred to as the land of the hair people. Uh, I'm a native to Turtle Island and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Finchotine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning many big dog town named after the Calgary Stampede. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot Mokinstis as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. Through my father, I'm a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having a Canadian Indian Act and Post status card, which is a colonial construct by Canadian policies meant to divide Indigenous peoples inherent rights. Uh, Indigenous Two-Spirit or the Indigenous Two LGBTQ plus community and Indigenous women are on the bottom of the socio-economic ladder because of colonial trauma, imposed poverty, racism, gendered violence and land theft. As a Dene woman who attempted to run after joining harmful colonial parties spent money to be at those expensive conventions, left my home to travel to those conventions, uh, just to vote on incomplete policies that still allow incarceration, a denial of justice, a denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma, and genocide of Indigenous and Black peoples, I have work to continue to do, reports to advocate for, and attempt to work within these systems meant to harm me and my community. 
I can't say have a great Victoria Day, Pride, Indigenous Day, knowing that my community is still dying from the current drug policies systems imposed by Canadian uh, Christian-based drug policies, abstinence programming, private health care, and justice systems built on racism, land theft, and imposed British constructs that continue genocide on Indigenous people. Frank Young of Red Earth Cree Nation in so-called Saskatchewan is still missing with no Amber Alert. I think of all of them today as we honor their lives. I hope you see your role in the importance of stopping harm and as the citizens see your role in reconciliation too. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Blackfoot and Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Satudene. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot and Dene elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share my journey as I walk the red road. I've been accused of not being kind while surviving genocide, yet I have given free book clubs, podcasts, and info on my social media for years, as have many others. At this point, it would be willful to be this ignorant on issues. So with that, I say welcome. And I want to uh, just do a quick round and see who identifies as, um, well, just a quick round of introductions in general. And um, I'm just going to look at this alphabetically and go Carol, Kat, uh, Rosemary, Kathy, Nicole, Susan, Shelley, Siri, and Tiffany. So Carol, and uh, I have met Michelle through our liberal women's liberal group, and I would be a uh, colonizer, and I accept that I have uh, white privilege, and I'm all about reconciliation. I am saddened by this. I'm torn by it. I want the world to change. I want equity. I want... I want fairness. We all bleed the same blood, the same color. So that's kind of where I'm at. And I, I am a renowned feminist. I know that about myself. And from a feminist perspective, I say that women, white women, did not take care of our indigenous sisters, nor did we, we didn't include them. We took their matrilineal um, uh, uh, ways of being and we thought that they were the best, but we did not include them, nor did we include, nor did we include women of color. So that's where I'm at. And I'm so stoked I met Michelle and I'm so stoked to be here. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Carol. That's awesome. Kat? Hello, I'm Kat. I go by she, her, or they, them pronouns. I am a clearly a white settler um, who was born on Treaty 1 territory and have lived here on Treaty 7 for over uh, for 20 years off and on. Um, I also believe that uh, reconciliation must be a way of life and I am working hard at that and to that end I run my own book club um, called the Settlers Book Club which is aimed at obviously the settlers and to learn our true history and to learn uh, and act and be active anti-racists. 
and I've been here for three years. Yay. <laughs> so awesome. I'm really um, proud and honored. And Kat is also part of the Reconciliation Action Group because after reading enough about Indigenous people at a certain point, if people are not interested in acting, they're not my ally. So thank you, Kat, for being an ally too. Rosemary. Hi, I'm Rosemary Brown. I'm a, I use she and her pronouns. I'm a white settler of European origin, uh, born and raised on the traditional lands of the Onondaga Nation in upstate New York, where uh, in upstate New York, those ancestors settled all along the Mohawk River in different cities, especially uh, the Irish, uh, not recognizing whose land they were on. That was land that had been stolen uh, from the, the peoples there uh, during wars in the US. And uh, people were swindled out of land when the canals were being built and the railroads were being laid. <clears throat> Earlier ancestors settled in New England where I think they were much more conscious of their active involvement and dispossession. And Rosemary, uh, I am going to pause you there and welcome our guest of honor, Jody, here and say thank you so much for joining us, Jody. We're so honored that you came here today. Um, welcome to Chapters and Chat Book Club. We uh, have been, this is our sixth anniversary. So we've been oh. doing it for six years, and you are our guest tonight. Oh, thanks, Michelle, and um, thanks for for letting me crash your your book club for a little bit. <laughs> oh, you're your biggest fan club right here. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's nice to meet all of you virtually, and I hope that you uh, enjoyed reading um, Indian in the Cabinet. And I, um, yeah, I'm happy to have seen Michelle I think it was a couple of weeks ago when I was in Calgary and and meeting with the Tsutina police service and then she mentioned this uh your your uh, your book club so yeah I'm I'm happy to um hear what you thought of the book or take any hard-hitting questions that you might have but uh thanks everybody for being interested in reading indigenous authors and for all of the the other amazing books I'm sure that you have uh reviewed and talked about oh I, I you know we are so lucky to have you we have uh so we, we actually just disconnected from the calgary public library because you know they were they really wanted you to have a, a membership and i told people it's okay just contact me i'll give you the zoom link but it was just a barrier for folks so now it's just going to be on native calgarian only and the folks that are in here uh there's a lot of liberals there are a few liberals here for the very first time um, good liberals, not just ones that were here to say mean things. Otherwise, I'll just mute them and kick them out. But the other, uh, the others that are here are part of Reconciliation Action Group. So because we've had this book club for six years, um, you know, some people actually get that reconciliation means action and not just listening and learning. If I hear that expression one more time, my God. <laughs> so... So needless to say, we're all, we're all here to talk to you. We've actually read your other book as well, um, Where I Stand, because oh, obviously when that came out, that had to be number one for my for me to read as well. And uh, really honored to, to have you here because, you know, I, I really felt like you and me and the Indigenous Peoples Commission and all those Indigenous candidates and some that became elected MPs, we were gonna change Canada. 
<laughs> so naive. <laughs> but you know, that was the thing that I really got in your book here too, was that, um, you know, it wasn't just me. I really thought we were going to make some good positive changes of reconciliation. And, you know, today, if you ask me how reconciliation is going, I'll say, well, the bar is pretty low. The bar is super low when it comes to upholding the commitments. And, and it's not just by Justin, I just mean by regular Canadians. Um, you know, I'm in here in Calgary, very conservative. Uh, I hear people make fun of Justin all the time. And I always say, well, okay, but what's the alternative? And be, I'm sad that the bar is so low that there's really not an alternative. But when it came to your book, I really felt validated that, you know, we, we went in with good intentions and we tried really hard and we did a lot of great work, but, you know, and it's not performative. A lot of it was substantial. And, uh, and that was one of my favorite things about reading this book specifically was like how proud you were of some of the things that you had accomplished. Um, and by the way, so Indigenous people speak first here. So I'll just let you um, just no let you know that's how I felt about your book and about that moment in time where I thought we were going to make some really good progress. Yeah, well, thanks. And I, um, I mean, I think people have many differing perspectives and I uh, obviously you having read the book I'm not a partisan person I believe in working hard setting goals and um, you know seeking to accomplish those goals and I and I guess I would say in terms of reflecting and I've done a lot of it and that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to write that book um, is you know, and the last word in that book is grateful and I am very grateful for all of the opportunities that I've had and the work that that I was able to do with a, the support of an extraordinary team. Um, I certainly I recognize that I wouldn't have been the Minister of Justice and Attorney General without Justin Trudeau. Um, but, but having said that, yeah, I mean, I reflect on, on the opportunity with a little bit of sadness because there could have been so much more accomplished. But that's not to say that we haven't accomplished a lot or that we haven't learned a lot. At, and, you know, Indian in the cabinet is reflecting on what I feel I learned from that experience and what we can take away from it and what other people can reflect on in terms of, of their views. Um, you know, I, I know that uh, this prime minister is not going to be the prime minister forever and prime ministers change, but what's consistent and what has motivated me more than anything is people like you and Canadians that continue to come up to me everywhere I go and talk more and more about what we can do to advance, in my words, true reconciliation, not the performative stuff, but stuff that actually, you know, we learn and relearn our true history. We um, understand that we all come from different worldviews and perspectives and have privilege and otherwise, and then we need to act. Um, you know, I think that uh, that we've come a long way and, and I wrote a speech and in, in um, from where I stand um, or it's in there. Um, when I first became regional chief, I reflected on how much we'd accomplished in the last 50 years. This was in 2010. And then when I like now in writing another book, yes, I've read another book. Um, I think about what we've accomplished in the last 12 years and it's a huge amount and we shouldn't take that lightly and how people's opinions and understandings and drive to do stuff 
um, has increased significantly is how we're going to actually beyond politicians and elected people. That's how we're going to change things by by um, Canadians standing up and demanding different. Oh, I'm so grateful. And one of my favorite themes throughout your entire book was that um, like there are moments and I think any Indigenous person, especially one here, knows what it's like to experience that hate that you get that pushback. But then the hopeful part of how many people supported you, like, honestly, there, I think if there was some way we could have bypassed the entire system and made you prime minister, the majority of people <laughs> might have actually shown up to vote. <laughs> That's how it felt anyway at that moment, oh. I tell you. So I, I wanted to invite uh, Kathy or Susan, if you guys wanted to pop in to talk to Jody, please, by all means. And Siri, I don't know if you identify as Indigenous, but you are also welcome. Okay, but you are, you know, not white, so you're welcome to. <laughs> so I guess Kathy or Susan, no, are you gonna pass? Oh, here we go. Thank you very much uh, for everything that you've done. Um, I followed with great interest uh, the news articles and the stories about the pressure that you were undergoing could, and then your reflections on it went and then when you write the book if you could just comment on on what it was like that very stressful time and how you had to stand up Elijah Harper comes to mind so yeah I mean what an extraordinary um moment for for him to do what he did in front of um, the entire nation I think that was a very transformative moment in the history of Indigenous peoples and uh, relationships with non. Um, for me, I mean, I, I do try to reflect how I felt um, in that particular moment when I was giving testimony and leading up to and afterwards. Um, it was, I mean, it was probably one of the most tumultuous times um, that I, I've had in my professional life. And um, I say that not necessarily because of the issues that I went through or the decisions that I made as the attorney general. In that sense, I was quite um, confident and comfortable. Um, um, but, it, you know, I don't think anybody ever expects to be catapulted into a situation um, like that. And certainly not one that is watched literally by um, hundreds of thousands of people on television or you appear on the front pages of uh, the paper for days and weeks on end. Um, for me, it was, um, and I don't know where I reflected on this recently, but for me, it was really hard um, because of the impact that that reality had on my husband, on my mother, who just wanted me to come home to Cape Mudge and protect me. Um, but and you know my friends and other family but but for me and I reflect this in the book like sitting there giving testimony or making that decision or standing up to the powers that be and saying no um, I was able to do that based on how I was raised based on the values and the principles that I that I hold and knowing um, and this is kind of the title of the subtitle of the book, knowing that if one doesn't speak the truth and live with integrity, then our culture dies. We're an oral culture where I come from, like most Indigenous peoples, and it's those teachings that enable me to, 
um, to do what I did um, and having a very clear understanding of what my role was as the attorney general. But man, it was hard. I tell you, having like walking in the streets in Ottawa and having reporters literally and cameras literally ch chase you everywhere you go. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was hard. But so uh, um, what doesn't uh, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And boy, did I. Uh, did I ever have uh, a lot of conversations at night when I went home with people that I could just um, be open with and and reflect on on the challenges and people like Jane Philpot were were one of the main ones that enabled me to to get through and see myself clearly. I was so happy to see her name mentioned uh, throughout the book. Um, I just wanted to quote this one part because I think it just wraps up even my experience in politics where it says, you know, I'm an independent Indian. They meant not part of the oil, old boys club. And that's kind of in context of them trying to say that you were difficult, bitchy, not up to the task. And I really like the way you said, you know, um, I was not a regular politician, they meant. Um, you know, that that's the problem is that, you know, they have this expectation of us to perform in a certain way. And that's not who we are as Indigenous people. And um, I've really, I really appreciated that throughout the entire book. And um, I know in, you even said this in your book here that, you, you know, you had a hard time wanting to say this last piece. I, I will conclude by saying this. I was always taught to be careful what you say, because it cannot be taken back. I was taught to always hold true to your core values and principles and to act with integrity. These are the teachings of my parents, my grandparents, and my community. I come from a long line of matriarchs, and I am a truth teller in accordance with the laws and traditions of our big house. This is who I am, and this is who I will always be. And it, there's never been a proper acknowledgement of our government systems as Indigenous people and the vast amount of nations that we have and how that integrates into the Canadian world. And that's which is what I love the most about your book is that you didn't have to use the word racism, unconscious bias, discrimination. You just said, this is how I am. This is where I come from. These are our values. I would argue a lot of Canadians feel those same values. I would argue the liberals are supposed to maintain those values. So I see how you fit and how sometimes I fit in the Indigenous Peoples Commission. And I'm really grateful um, that you were able to encapsulate so much of that throughout the entire book as well. Kathy, um, I know you had your book up there and I know you probably dog-eared a million things. So give her. Yes, um, I did, but I'm just gonna keep it uh, short and sweet. Hi, my name's Kathy Bear. I'm, I'm from Muscaday First Nation in Northern Saskatchewan. Um, my dad was German, my mother was Cree. Um, yeah, I, I just want to say I, I loved reading this book. It was, okay. I'm just, um, wow, overwhelmed by the, the way you can tell your story with such honesty and, and clarity. Um, yeah, it, it's just, it's overwhelming. Um, there was so much there about the political lack of will and, um, you know, that parts about being on a runway and, and how everything is run by political agenda to, to retain power um, and the red meat issues, you know, like mm. those, those are things that I had never really, you know, thought about before. And, um, and it just uh, makes me kind of sad to think that our, our uh, country is 
run by a bunch of people that just want to grab power and, and don't really care about the people of the Canadians, all of us, you know, like they should be making laws that are good for everybody, not just, you know, dealing with things that make them look good for their image. So um, I really enjoyed reading your book. Uh, it does give me a lot of hope. Um, there was something in here where you were talking about, uh, I can't remember, but just the fact that the way you were speaking about, there was one line that really brought it home to me. And I, I've got so many dog ears in there. I can't find Oh my it gosh, now. look at that. <laughs> um, but it was just like, it just gave me hope that you could put it in so succinctly, though, the words that you were talking about how um, Indigenous people can, can teach them or teach everybody how to make come to consensus and and make laws that are good for everybody and just the way you put it in just like one or two simple sentences it was just like ah oh, there are people that know exactly what this country needs and and I'm just so glad that you're here um oh, yeah and thank you for all your work I love the humor that you put in there when you were talking about your night readings and how a person could fit into <laughs> the suitcase I thought that gave me a good chuckle and and uh and I'm so sorry about you know the wee day episode like you know there's just just everything in your book so much honesty and truth in there and I just want to end by asking you would you explain about the trike race <laughs> if you can because you talk oh. about that so if you could yeah I've just piqued my curiosity as to what you meant Oh, yeah. Well, thank you for all of those comments and pointing out different parts of the of the book and um, the trike race. Um, well, my father graduated from law school in 1973, and he started a trike race among the law students. And and it was kind of a I don't know. It was kind of a drinking game and all of the law students would ride these tricycles in the courtyard of the old law school at UBC. It was just a fun game that they did to let off, let off steam. But I, I, um, they're fewer in numbers, but my dad went to law school with a whole bunch of uh, people that are, are still alive. Well, many of them around Vancouver and they always talk about how much fun they used to have with the trike race. And I think they got up to some pretty pretty good shenanigans with that so that was kind of the trike race <laughs> but thanks for your thanks for your other comments it's um um you know I, I tried to be um uh, yeah, as open as I as I could and and I would say that you know I don't know if uh, well the book was not supposed to be a person like as personal as it became but I found when I was going in the process of writing it um I couldn't tell my my story, my political journey without telling who I was and the challenges that I have faced being a leader and, you know, the experiences um, and the sacrifices that one goes through, I think is important because we need to um, be as clear eyed as we can in, in, in getting people to be involved in politics and we need more people involved in politics from so many different backgrounds so we just need to share those experiences and and be able to realize that there are some sacrifices and balance is sometimes hard to achieve in 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 life generally but certainly um as a as a as a woman as an indigenous person in mainstream political life it's pretty hard
Yeah. Yeah, no, there was a lot of hope back then um, with Trudeau when he first got elected and it didn't take long for the disappointment to really settle in. <laughs> it was just mm. so sad to, to go from high expectations to such uh, status quo expectations, so to speak. But thank you for all your work, Jody, and I'm, I'm glad you're still fighting. Yeah, thank you, Kathy. So she shared with me, she's actually writing her third book and she took time away to come and talk to us. So Siri, Nicole, Shelly, if, if anybody has any questions, any thoughts you wanna share with her and then we'll just open it up so that everybody can share what they'd like. Okay, go ahead, Shelly. Hi, Jody. I read your book before I knew it was part of this. I listened to it cause I'm, I'm an autistic individual and I've been talking about how you've said um, in the book that we just need to do away with party systems. And I so agree with that uh, because I've been in the disability field for 20 years, even before I knew I was autistic or had disabilities myself. Um, my sister's also uh, has a pretty impactful disability. Um, and that's how I tie in with uh, the Reconciliation Action Group is that the intersectionality of disability and indigenous uh, issues are so connected. And I just want to say, I, I love the idea of just people running for what they actually do, because then we can actually deal with systemic problems, like the government system in Alberta, like the social service systems need to be tore apart and redone, but nobody will have the po political gumption to do that. Mm. Thank you, Shelley. Yeah, I, uh, I hear you and uh, it means what's the means to the end of having more independent voices, um, having a, I don't say get away with, um, or get away with or move away from political parties completely. I mean, political parties do have a, a purpose, um, but the, the, the blind loyalty that comes, that I've witnessed is, is corrosive. And I mean, the means to the end for me and something that um, I believed in then and I believe now is to change our democratic system so we create the space for more independently minded people to be elected. And, and one of the ways to do that, I believe, is to look at various models of proportional representation, which will make the, the House of Commons or the legislatures um, more, more representative of um, what the country actually looks like. So still going to keep pushing for that. But we had promised that. That was part of our party promise was yeah. for, like some changes to the electoral system in general. And, um, yeah. you know, that was one of the most disappointing first things that happened that I knew we weren't going to make progress on that. And I, it, it's such a strong need in moving forward. And we didn't really even talk at that time. Uh, so Marion Monsef was the minister about democratic reform. And I remember giving her a, a list of like UNDRIP articles, uh, TRC, um, and issues that I thought were really pertinent to, you know, democratic reform. And I just felt so brushed off. And I literally had like liberals from Calgary crying because they were so excited to see folks like you, folks like her get elected. And I met her and I was I was so disappointed. It was literally like talking to any conservative here in Alberta that I would normally talk to where they just brush off another indigenous woman, not understand or care, even though it was in the mandate letters. That was my, I was so proud that day when you were given that portfolio and we, and then 
uh, it was actually a couple of months later that the, the um, mandate letters came out and reconciliation and Indigenous people were, were a part of every mandate letter. Like I was so proud. I, you could not have said anything to me that day that I would have been like gone to the wire for Justin that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Does anybody want to um, open it up and tell her what you thought of her book or have any questions for her? And maybe we'll start with Kat and just kind of go down Carol um, since nobody is putting up their hand. Yes, and I'm not surprised that one white male is so, so excited to jump on in, but go ahead. Do <laughs> <laughs> you want me to, Nicole or Siri, did you want to go first? Do you have any questions? Sure. Well, not questions. Um, I've, been, I've been living in the States, and so I was not paying uh, strict attention to the SNC-Lavalin affair. I have generally not been um, very enthusiastic about politicians' books when I've read them, but so <laughs> uh, I didn't have many expectations in particular when I started reading your book, and I have been raving about it, and mm. I realized that that's probably because you're not a typical politician, like in any sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one of the reasons for that is probably the vision that you are careful to lay out throughout of where we can go to. And I have found that a lot of conventional leader type people, um, you know, they're all working from the same box of ideas and and so I'm just very grateful to you for um, putting your voice out there, putting your, well, being out there, you know, taking the slings and arrows. Um, and I have been telling a lot of folks for a few years now about following the leadership of black women and indigenous women and Afro-indigenous women um, who've been going through a slow apocalypse for, you know, mm. centuries. And as a result of that experience that you all have, you know, you all know how to build <laughs> and uh, throughout, throughout a lot of hor horrible things. And um, I don't keep on, you know, doing that. I suppose I do have a question, which is, you know, faith and democracy, like, <laughs> I, I, I can't vote here. I vote by mail for the Canadian elections um, because it's, it's the best I can think of to do instead mm -hmm. of like withdrawing completely. But like, you know, all the parties, all the major parties are settler supremacist and either explicitly white supremacist or implicitly white supremacist as far as I can tell, which is pretty depressing. <laughs> So I, I feel like faith and democracy, um, I still have it, but I have it in a, in a revisioning of democratic structures of the sort that like the way that you lay it out. Like I don't have the experience to be able to come up with that stuff myself, but having read your book, now I can tell people about it. Mm -hmm. um, so I suppose my question would be, um, 
having been through the ringer in this democratic process, the so-called democratic process, um, your faith in democracy. I, actually, I think you say it in one of in one of your pages about how it comes from your um, knowledge of where you come from and your values and your people. I suppose mm -hmm. I'm answering my own question if that's if if I'm accurate. And I'll I'll shut up now. Yeah, well, thanks for thanks for those comments, Siri. And I um, had a lot of people ask me or. Um, about my faith in democracy and you know I made a very big effort to to write to my constituents who elected me when I was um, um, deciding that I wasn't going to run again I felt I had an obligation to tell them why and part of that resignation letter was saying that is a toxic environment uh, in parliament and it, and it is um, to a great degree um, but you know where I have continued faith is the reality that um, the only way we're going to change that toxic environment or create the space for real, you know, discussions and decisions based on evidence and try to move towards consensus-based decision making is is for more people from diverse backgrounds to get involved in politics. And I mean, I, I have said publicly, um, I mean, I haven't sworn off politics altogether. Um, I can um, envision myself getting back involved um, in federal politics if the right circumstances present themselves. Um, I feel um, for me, I can make more, um, I can do more things and advocate better outside of that environment. But that's not to say that um, anybody on this call or anybody that's wanting to run in politics from marginalized communities shouldn't and I wouldn't you know cheer them on and, and knock on doors with them um, but then I go back to I'm not sure if like I've said this but I go back to the reality of of my election in 2019 that I was elected um, as the first independent woman ever elected in our country's history and that says something about what can be done. It says something about the constituents of Vancouver Granville who elected me to represent them in Ottawa versus you know, being represented in Ottawa back into your community. So things can change. There is evidence that they can change. Yeah, it's, it's hard, um, but we need to all um, continue to advocate and encourage people from diverse backgrounds to to run in politics because their voices are so important and um, you know bringing different worldviews um, confronts people who are are certainly used to the status quo and maintaining their power but um, there has to be more of that confrontation and people have to be and feel uncomfortable so um, I just, I really appreciate your, your comments and your reflections on the book. And um, I think it's probably the biggest compliment I've ever had is I'm not one of those conventional politicians. So thank you, <laughs> Siri. That's amazing. I'm so grateful. Nicole, did you want to have an opportunity to um, speak and, and talk to her about the book? Okay. Um, well, this is the first time I'm coming to the book club. I just found out about it the other day so I did not know um Miss Jody was going to be here today so if I knew I would have had so many questions so no one would be <laughs> speaking myself but um 
in this, I'm not really big on politics too because I, I it's, it's a system that I don't tend to, to trust. And as a settler here in, in, in on Turtle Island and a visible minority, like when I saw you in the position in such a high position, like for me, I was just cheering you on because I was like, finally, um, the system is recognizing that, hey, it's time for the original caretakers and owners of the land to be fully represented, you know, within such a high space. So my question to you is though, how did you manage to, because you know, when I look at it and see how you were thrown under the bus, that's not even a bus, that's like a couple of trains. <laughs> that you were thrown under like uh, how did you feel being in such a position because when I'm in certain spaces like I feel like I have to represent all black people like I, I can't speak for all of them because our cultures are so different and it would be the same with indigenous um, folks and you as an indigenous woman but how did you feel being in that office and feel like you would probably be like the mouthpiece for all indigenous experiences how do you manage to you know maintain your culture because upon your resignation I was like okay this is someone who is standing firm in in who she is and you know not you know because it would be easy for you to say oh, let me just ride this train and and go with the status quo or what was happening how as a woman do you manage as an indigenous woman if you don't mind me saying that do you manage to to carry that weight or do you feel like you're carrying a weight and you know how did you manage to stick to your to the your what your grandma what your aunties what your mom what your dad taught you and say like hey I'm doing this the right way and I'm not going to sit here and just take what you're giving me that would be my question yeah, that's a that's a, a big question and an important question. And I, I mean, I guess um, for sure, I felt um, extraordinary expectations placed upon me, um, um, just generally. But um, what um, my being in that position, um, the expectations of Indigenous peoples of me um, were very high, and and our people expressed them very clearly to me. Likewise, my expectations of Indigenous peoples um, are and were incredibly high. Um, how did I manage? Um, well, when I, um, I knew I had to get the job done um, that I was assigned in my mandate letter, um, I have always been rooted in my, as you say, in my community and my culture and um, understanding um, our Indigenous ways of being and how we make decisions um, from, you know, a very early age in my community through to being a council person, through being regional chief, um, taught me how to survive in that reality and taught me the importance of listening to all of the diversity of voices within Indigenous communities and outside of Indigenous communities. And um, without question, and Michelle would know this, um, uh, it was Indigenous peoples 
first and foremost, that when they saw something going wrong, um, were the ones that stood up for me and gave me the strength and supported me. Um, that's not to say that we all agree on every single issue or my approach to every single issue. That certainly wasn't the case. But, um, you know, they were proud to see an Indigenous person, a woman in that position. And I was proud. And I know, um, and I think most people know, or I hope that they do, and they think about that I'm not the last Indigenous person and woman that would sit in that position, that there are going to be many, many more after me. And it just shows progress. And I was happy to, to be, a, be a part of that. And and I've been the first um, in many different situations, but I know I'm not going to be the last. I'm just going to throw this out. So the Indigenous Peoples Commission is supposed to be a part of the Liberal Party and represent the Indigenous people. And I'll, I'll never forget being at the convention in Montreal and, and us going up and down the escalator and we just made eye contact. And I knew I wasn't going to get an opportunity to talk to you, but we never quit. We never broke it. And I just have always thought, I don't know what was going through your mind. But in mine, it was, I hope you're okay. I hope you're going to be okay. And by then, I had had a couple of years under my belt of the microaggressions and the you know, unconscious bias, right? And um, when that, when the attack started to happen to you, and I can confirm in the party, they were secretly saying, well, I, I'm hearing she's difficult to work with. And the Indigenous Peoples Commission all knew that, oh, you're not used to dealing with a woman with a voice. That's what it is. And certainly not an indigenous woman who's strong, and we knew that. And um, yeah, on on page uh, two fifty one, you you wrote a letter April first to the Liberal Caucus, and at at the end of it, you say, you know, I didn't expect it to really accomplish anything, and in fact, it accomplished nothing. But I can tell you, you know, every letter you wrote, everything that you said mattered because it emphasizes what you just said that you're not going to be the last because whether it was so like I think it's so perfect your dad and Pierre Elliott and now you and Justin you know I don't know what's next for his kids um, but I know there will be another Indigenous person that meets up to the next generation of Canadian leaders and stands up to them and I know that and everything you wrote in this uh, letter to the caucus for Every letter matters to me as an Indigenous person that you said that to them, because I say it, other Indigenous people say it, people who are not part of the party who are Indigenous say it. But when it came from you, I think it really mattered. And I'm not going to lie, I'm incredibly disappointed with some of those folks who identify as Indigenous that are cabinet members, sitting MPs that didn't go up to bat for you. Because, you know, at, at the end, like, why am I now following and cheering on Patrick Berzot. I mean, it's obvious he was one of the folks willing to stand up because he didn't have a party that was going to throw him out of a caucus at that time, right? So he'd yeah. just be an honest Indigenous person about what he was seeing. And um, I, like you rallied not just Indigenous people, but so many Canadians. So many Canadians told me how proud. My dad hates everybody and he loves you. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he's a white uh, retired boilermaker. So like he's the most cynical kind of guy you can possibly come across, right? He's homophobic, everything. But he he obviously loves me unconditionally, and um, but he he has no faith in politics, much much like Siri was was really expressing. And 
you know, I've read Tragedy in the House of Commons. It's such a great book. And I tell people that I'm like, you know, the onus shouldn't be on Indigenous people to fix your system, but we do bring solutions to the table, like on Drip, in case you ever care. <laughs> and, and you, in both of your books, have brought it up so many times. Here are the solutions, here are the answers. So I just hope you know, I think you're an incredible leader. And Shelley, you have your hand up. Um, and then maybe we'll open up the floor up to some others. I'm gonna have to go very soon. My battery is gonna die, but um, I'm happy I'm happy to stand for a little bit longer for sure. Sure. I know Carol is dying to say something to you. Okay. You better hurry, Carol. I better hurry. All I can say is like I, I'm pinching myself, but I so appreciated in the book the interweaving of the personal and the political. And I was profoundly disappointed when um, you resigned. You have a star-like quality. I was in Ottawa. I saw you walk by and I turned to my husband and I said, do you know who that is? And so <laughs> I really, really, um, I appreciate what you have done. I hope you, I hope it isn't the end because there's people who will pound on doors and walk streets for you. And yeah, I hope it's not done for you in terms of politics. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Carol. I really appreciate it. Thank you. John, I, I know you wanted to. Do you have a second? I do. So uh, I just want to say thank you, uh, Michelle, to you for letting me. I'm the obvious interloper here. So I'm, I'm very uh, honored to be here. So thank you, Michelle, for that. And Jody, I just wanted to say uh, how grateful I am to you. You resurrected my hope in politics, actually. Uh, I'm a storyteller. I've read both your books, by the way, and your, your, your book reminded me of an experience. Years ago, I worked in a country called Papua New Guinea, and there was a civil war on while I was there. And during the civil war, uh, the multinationals carried the weight until the prime minister finally spoke out and said, this is not our way. And he stopped the war and he, and he expelled all the expats. Oddly enough, I was allowed to stay, but the, all the expats were uh, expelled, including the mining companies. And what he changed was the way of politics. Uh, mm. The nation got involved in dialogue. And that was the takeaway I got from your books. It's, there's, there's gotta be a new way of politic and that politic is your own cultural history. It's a place where people sit and dialogue and actually listen. And this is something that can be brought. I learned that in New Guinea and I, you reminded me of that in the book that we have that same tradition here and we need to, so anyways, thank you, thank you. I'm so wow, glad you came I love, Go ahead. Yeah, I love to. I, I mean, I'd love to hear that. And it's, uh, I mean, I do think that that dialogue and debate and discussion and working towards consensus is, uh, is the future. I think we are moving in that direction, not fast enough for my liking, but I will say this, and I think I said this in other places, I went to Ottawa to create the space for Indigenous nations to rebuild within a stronger Canada. And I found, um, and going back to my big house and being with my elders found that, wow, does Canada ever have a lot, our parliamentary system and other systems to learn from um, indigenous ways of being uh, legal orders and ways people have lived even beyond indigenous peoples and in, in so many other different cultures, but being able to actually recognize one's privilege or step out of it and see that there are different other worldviews that are important and can contribute to change 
that's our opportunity. And I think we're we're getting more and more in that place where we can continue to have those conversations. So yeah, thanks for thanks for that. We're so honored that you came here, Jody. Thank you for coming. Thank you for sharing. Most importantly, thank you for writing this book. I, I think it, it will inspire all Canadians. Like I think the time and moment and place did, but I think that the book is so open and honest. And I actually, I had a very difficult time watching the, the trial because I didn't like, and I won't mention his name, the way he treated you. I didn't like, and he was part of my team that I was supposed to be proud of from Alberta. And I, I was too angry to even watch it and um, and hurt by it because I felt like when they hurt you, they were hurting all of us. And um, so this part that, especially that you wrote April 1st to the Liberal Caucus, so grateful you did. And I'm gonna repeat it after you go to the group here who maybe uh, need a refresher or wanna hear it again. And uh, it'll go up on the podcast. So thank you for coming tonight. I appreciate you taking time away from your third book to come and join us. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And my third book is going to my copy editor on Thursday. So I'm a bit under the gun, but I will say, um, and um, you hope you read the, uh, the end of my testimony to the justice committee that spoke about who I am and who I always will be about being a matriarch and a truth teller. So interesting. And, and life is so amazing. Um, somebody, um, sent me those words, um, and framed it in a beautiful frame, um, to my constituency office and it's hanging on my wall in my living room and it resonates beyond indigenous peoples and recognizing indigenous legal orders are here to stay, but, um, that, that they can, uh, assist in transforming. It was pretty cool. So thank you so much, everybody for, for having me and, uh, have a good rest of your book club, and maybe I can come back when I when you uh, potentially review the next book. Yeah, like oh, we will. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> bye, Jody. Thank you for coming. Bye, everybody. Okay. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that just happened. <laughs> okay. So Rosemary, you were in the middle of, of giving an intro. Do you want to keep your thoughts and just you just continue talking about like what you thought of the book, what you thought of Jody coming? We'll just kind of do a round with everybody, see how you felt and welcome folks like John to our circle and Nicole to our, our circle. Go ahead, Rosemary. Just thank you so much, Michelle, for inviting her. Thank you so much for putting both of her books on our list. I haven't finished this one yet but uh i'm what an eye opener in terms of uh her her experience of party politics and that sense of you know these non-elected people in a prime minister's office who take precedence over the people we elect right and uh her observations about parliamentarians as a whole and while there are many who are very hard working and who are driven by you know, purpose and ethics. There are so many who aren't. And, but the terrible thing is, I have a suspicion that some of what she's talking about, we can probably find across the board in political parties, and it's somehow endemic to the system. Um, because it, it was it Siri who said, you know, there, there's subtler, you know, systems of government, white supremacist systems of government. And I, I just want to quickly add, I was um, 
in a discussion with someone from the Philippines and they, they took the phrase uh, speaking truth to power and they turned it on its head and said, how do we bring power to truth? You know, how, how do we build the kind of power we need from below and based on all kinds of things Jody was talking about? Because I think many of the ethics and integrity are shared uh, by many people in different cultures. How do we bring that together and, 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 and push? And, and then I think of some of our experiences here in Calgary where we're trying to do movement building and the contradictions among all our movements. And, um, you know, again, we're working in different silos. We don't all share an anti-racism analysis. We're not all working on trying to understand uh, not just indigenous issues, but indigenous ways of knowing and being and, and, and what that can mean for all of us. So, Yes, I'm, I'm hopeful as a result of what she's saying because of the clarity it brings, but also, wow, we have so much work ahead of us and I'll just stop there. So grateful, Rosemary. So for folks who may not know Rosemary, she's been one of the, uh, I would say longest standing anti-racism activists in the city. Um, been a part of this book club since the beginning. She's been um, part of the Reconciliation Action Group Justice for Palestine, um, ending poverty. Geez, there's so much to say of who Rosemary is and what she has to bring to the table. And her husband, Don, was a big part of the original um, book club. And he always brought a perspective of what it was like living through, or well, analyzing the South um, African apartheid movement, as you all know, um, the Indian Act and uh, reservations were, um, that was looked at and then modeled after in South Africa under the apartheid system. So um, just wanna say thank you, Rosemary, for sharing your thoughts. And uh, John, we wanna welcome you. I'm just kind of going alphabetically. So you're kind of next anyway. So welcome to the book club. It's great that you came. I'm glad you got to talk to Jody and just to introduce yourself in your way and any thoughts that you have about the book. Yeah. So. Thank you, Michelle. You know, I'm very grateful. I, when I heard that Jody was here tonight, I, I said, oh my, I was jealous. I said I was jealous and suddenly I got this invite. And that's because of Carol. Thanks for that, Carol. Um, so my name is John Van Dyke. Do you need anything else about me? I'm, I'm involved with the Senior Liberal Commission and uh, struggle along with it. I'm trying to understand. Um, and in my understanding, in my struggle with uh, the commission and with all commissions probably is in fact the centralization of thought. I have a lot of problems with that. Uh, when, I, when I read Jody's book, actually I, I agree with everything she says. There's an article, by the way, if you guys are interested, I can send it to Michelle and she can forward it to others. Paul Tellier wrote an article. He, he used to be a top public civil servant in Ottawa. And he will talk about uh, the destruction of the public service because of the prime minister's office uh, being run by non-elected members and being incredibly centralized. It, it's an interesting article. It's well, it's well worth a read. Uh, I can send it to you, Michelle, if you like. Sure, just along with the uh, recommendations that people read uh, Tragedy in the Commons because it's such a great book. Uh, yeah, 
the issues okay. we had. Um, I don't know how long you've been with the party, but um, I remember Fairville also being a part of that uh, Montreal convention and really excited to finally meet some of the folks from there. And I, I again, really thought we were going to do some sort of democratic reform. Um, and what part of the uh, country are you from, John? I'm in Alberta. I'm just I'm just outside of Edmonton, Spruce Grove. Gotcha. I'm a part of the Forest Lawn EDA, and uh, oh. yeah, and I think I'm one of the only Indigenous people willing to take a leadership role. So I'm part of the Indigenous Peoples Commission for Alberta. I'm trying to uh, get the EDA going here. It's kind of an EDA on paper. I, I belong to uh, uh, Sturgeon River Parkland. Mm. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, there's a person that I'm very interested in getting involved. Her name is Michelle as well. I think I introduced her to you through Dennis. Mm. Uh, she's, she's indigenous, very intelligent. She's uh, someone I had trained to take over my job when I retired. As a matter of fact, she did the job better than I did. And um, it was an interesting, uh, it's her story to tell. As sure. when I left, how, you know, you talk about an old boys club. So the city worked hard at making sure she didn't get that job. It was very interesting. She was the most competent, the most, anyways, that's her story to tell whenever you meet her. Yeah, it's uh, um, very truthful. Let me tell you, um, the upholding of white supremacy and the upholding of uh, men in any position of power. I think it might be a good time for me to read this part that I've been itching to read because you identified as liberal. And by the way, there are a lot of NDPers on here and I am provincially helping the NDP. I don't mean to be so partisan, um, but I just want to read this. On April 1, in anticipation of a vote that would uh, I thought would happen, I sent a letter to the Liberal Caucus that included the following. Now, I know many of you are hurt, angry, and frustrated. I, frankly, so am I. I can only speak for myself. I am angry, hurt, and frustrated because I feel and believe I was upholding the values that we are all committed to. In giving the advice I did and taking the steps I did, I was trying to help protect the prime minister and the government from a horrible mess. I am not the one who tried to interfere with sensitive proceedings. I am not the one who made it public, and I am not the one who publicly denied what happened. I am not going to go over, over all the details here. Enough has been said. Growing up as an Indigenous person in this country, I learned long ago the lesson that people believing what they wished about you does not and cannot ever make it the truth rather than letting authority be the truth, let the truth be the authority. Kind of back to what Rosemary's point was there. I'm just going to say it one more time. Rather than letting authority be the truth, let the truth be the authority. Yeah. Yeah. Um, indeed, if I had succumbed to interpreting the beliefs of others to be truth, I would have never been able to push forward in the face of racism and misogyny that far too many women, Indigenous women and others still experience every day. Ultimately, the choices before you is about what kind of party you want to be a part of, what values you will uphold, the visions that emanate it, and indeed the type of people it will attract and make up. If indeed our caucus is to be a microcosm of the country, it is about whether we are a caucus of inclusion or exclusion, of dialogue and searching for understanding or shutting out challenging views and perspectives. Excuse me. And ultimately in the old ways of doing business or new ones that look to the future. And mm -hmm. I just think that that 
you know, um, it's interesting because we have so many liberals here yet literally this book is about what's wrong with her party and provincially at this moment um there's a lot of conversations happening provincially what's wrong with the ndp party um i know in ontario um the ndp the greens like nobody's happy with any of the parties so i can't recommend that that book tragedy in the commons enough and um anyway john we'll just keep working together and know that we're on the same page in a lot of ways and shelly you have to hand up yeah um i just it's um i just want to is uh, acknowledging the point with john um because i am of the disability community and i am very very cognizant of language that is my thing that is my special interest and i don't i don't know i don't this just when you bought the the indigenous woman you spoke up and talked about her being smart like it didn't even need to be talk about her knowledge like her her um being um um uh, like her being smart and knowledgeable like that that's as somebody who has who has been ridiculed for her whole life and othered her whole life and being called stupid um that like that that and i Am I making any sense? I just, I found that it didn't need to be brought up. Like sometimes like in dis like if somebody has a disability, you don't need to bring up the disability in the conversation. So I just think when you're talking about this lady that um, she's of a minority, so the, the, the part of her, um, her, her intelligence does not to be need to brought up. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. Can I just respond to that? So uh, Shelly, I apologize for that. I don't mean, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean uh, she's a minority and what a surprise, she's smart. Uh, you know, quite to the contrary, actually, uh, she's smarter than I am. She does my job or she did my job much mm -hmm. better than I am. And uh, that's, that's all I intended, but I, I am very grateful uh, because sensitivity and language carries, words carry weight. And so I will be, uh, I will be more cognizant of that. That's for sure. Uh, and, and when I talk about- It's a learning curve. Yeah, it's a learning curve. And I, when I talk about stuff, I always bring it up as in a way of, because when you know better, you do better for the most part for most people, except we're not gonna go there. Um, so um, language is my thing and Michelle knows what I do with language. Um, I'll give so, you guys an example though. Um... So the event that Jody and I were at at Sutina, I was sitting at a table and I won't mention the nonprofit organization that claims to want to help indigenous people, but fails at it every chance. Um, uh, and they'll know, but they won't possibly ever watch this podcast because of course they're far too arrogant to. Um, but at the end of the day, um, we had the privilege of listening to uh, Murray Sinclair. And I looked right at uh, one of the uh, white male colleagues and asked them, what did you think? And his only response was, he's such an intelligent man. And I thought, here was a man talking about reconciliation, talking about literally white Canadians' roles in reconciliation. And his biggest comeback was, so intelligent. And I, I just, you know, I get frustrated because he had the privilege of hearing Murray Sinclair every kid in in Canada probably would have rather heard that and had something more constructive to say. And his only response was how intelligent he was. 
and there there was a piece of me that wondered that deep-seated oh another fucking indian talking and he, oh he can actually make a sentence or two sound good because we've been patted on the head so many times so it, it was I'll, I'll just use that as an example of kind of what shelly was getting to as well because it's just it's so true and i know uh john i really appreciate you being so kind and to the feedback and being so kind about understanding um and I, I i just i'm grateful that we can have open discussions about oppression dynamics because um i honestly i've been coming across so many people that just don't have the courage don't have it in them right to really be honest about those oppression dynamics and as a temporarily able-bodied person I always appreciate your perspective, Shelley, no matter what field we're sitting at, whatever table we're at, because so many Indigenous people who have a disability are not at these tables and will never be at these tables because they're purposely excluded because these systems are so sucky. Um, tomorrow, uh, many of us here are actually going to the Calgary Board of Education to talk to them about some of the renaming policies and, and such. And, and it's just so infuriating the expectation for people to be available first and foremost on a noon on a weekday um, to go down in person being forced to go down in person. Um, there's so much ableism in that alone right and um, ironically there's a lot more to say but because it hasn't happened yet we'll wait for tomorrow to say it but um, really appreciate the open conversation here folks. Um, I'm just going down the, the line. Kathy, did you want to uh, pop in and say anything about uh, meeting Jody, about anything that you've heard today? Um, anything else you forgot to say you wanted to say? Yes, there's so many questions I could have asked, um, but you know, uh, when I earmarked so much stuff, it was hard to find anything of any importance. But um, the one thing that comes to mind is on page 92, where they say um, the prime minister is your brand. You each serve at his pleasure. You each have duty to country and will need to do and will need to at some point speak truth to power. Um, but just those words, you each serve at his at his pleasure. That just kind of like put a knot in my stomach. It, I just found that very distasteful. That sentence, um, you know, like. It's supposed to be a democracy. <laughs> supposed, they're supposed to work for us, not the prime minister. Like this part, <laughs> this partisan stuff is just like out of control. Um, it's not really also, partisan, though, Kathy. This is just parliamentary procedure. It's the Westminster likes uh, colonial procedures that are just disgustingly gross. It needs to be changed because, again, the other point I was wanted to talk about was um, this not everything being privileged like why is it privileged if they're working for us if they're elected officials working on our dime our tax dollars why is there stuff that they can talk about that's secret to me that just doesn't make sense like I just uh, you know with the whole letter speak situation that was going on I just think that we need to do <laughs> reform the way our government works and and make it more open and transparent because it's just not working the way it is. That's all. Well, it's great points, Kathy. Thank you. Nicole, is there anything else that you'd like to add? 
No, I, I just need to finish um, really getting to the book. So and for the next one, I'll be much more prepared. <laughs> so yeah. Nicole, how did but, you hear about it? And do you have do you know what the next um, readings are? Yeah, okay. So I fell upon the, your podcast. I think it was during Black History and I was just searching podcast to watch. And I fell upon it and I was listening to a couple of it. And then you, I was at the Native Information Exchange mm -hmm. and you talked about the, the book club and I was like, oh, I need to put it down. I wrote it on my piece of paper to do it and it was just there and I forgot. And then I quickly remembered and said, oh, I need to jump on. So that's how um, I, I found the podcast because I've listened to a couple of your podcasts before and I was like, oh, I love this firecracker of a woman like she says what's on her mind and doesn't care so I was really appreciative of that so yeah but the book club I found out recently about it when you mentioned it in the meeting awesome thank you or, so much yeah no or you mentioned what you do when I went on the website and I saw the book club and I signed up oh yeah. good good yeah so the next reading is uh the uh, section three and four of the MMIW inquiry. Yes. So I'll be ready. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, Kathy, you asked if Tiffany had a chance. I'm just going down the list. So we're going in alphabetical order. So Tiffany hasn't had a chance to speak. So we're going to go to, um, I, and Shelly's kind of spoke. Uh, so we'll go to Siri, Tiffany, and then we'll head back to the top here and go to Rosemary, Carol, Kat, and uh, make sure everybody had a chance. Kat didn't speak. Yeah, we, we're not there yet. Again, we're going down alf alphabetically in the participants list. <laughs> yeah, my cat. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, no, she's she's on the list, right? Okay. Okay. Um, just thinking about, about the suggestion to the suggestion to for women to our people of the global majority to run more, which would be great. Um, I helped out with a local camp candidate for a local campaign here. It was four white men who were running. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking in wake of Jody's words, what, what politics would look like if more white men just stepped back and helped people of the global, women of the global majority who were interested in running and also stepped up to be the ones to feel all the hate mail that they would be getting. I think, mm -hmm. I think things would look a lot different, but um, in, with climate the way it is these days, that's, I'm, I bet, keeping a lot of women of the global majority in particular from deciding to run. Anyway, that's just, stream of consciousnessing. Well, I'm glad you spoke up. Uh, so I ran both municipally and provincially, but I can promise you the men do not step up for Indigenous women, not for me. Um, I've been a part of uh, Maryland North Pagan's campaign municipally and provincially, and I'll tell you, most people won't stand up for her either. Uh, we have a, a small crew that's very committed, thank God. Um, and I think we're going to do really well, but it is also partly because of the structure of the party that it's going to do well, not because um, volunteers who claim to care about reconciliation have stepped up in any capacity. She literally wrote 
the policy for the municipal city here. And, um, you know, again, those who claim to care about reconciliation, don't come to the book club, don't go to the reconciliation action group, and don't step up for her to run. Um, and as uh, the Indigenous Peoples Commission, uh, we do fundraising specifically for Indigenous people. The Women's Commission for the Liberal, um, they do fundraising specific to women. So as an Indigenous woman, you would be able to access maybe $2,000 in order to run. And um, as you know, that's not nearly enough for a campaign. So, you know, uh, here in Calgary, a lot of the uh, Women's Commission folks actually started ask her ask her um, their mantra is to basically do all of the campaigning support and teachings for women to run municipally and we just had an event called ask them trying to get more queer folks to consider running as well and um, at the end of the day the barriers that are there are are extreme and because most people don't even know anything about politics like i can go door to door and uh most people don't know the different orders of government, let alone what's happening. Um, lots of people happy with Jason Kenney, uh, hate Justin Trudeau and Rachel Notley for no other reason than their um, uh, conscious, unconscious bias. And um, these are the things that we come up across, right? So like, I, I just encourage people to get more involved in politics in general uh, with whatever party it is that they think they have values with, because, um, I mean, if you were to read Tragedy in the Commons, that would also really highlight the problems with the Westminster democracy that's been imposed on Indigenous lands. But that bigger picture is that average Joe Canadian, they care more about, you know, gas, Tim Hortons, hockey. And by the way, Satyajane did invent hockey. So I agree, agree with you. Um, so Tiffany, introduce yourself to the group. Sorry, I coughed right when you said that. Did you say me or is Shelly going? Okay. No, Sorry. It's again. Okay, folks, I'm going to pause Sorry. everybody. We are going alphabetically down the participant list. So who's next after Tiffany but Rosemary? Because it goes iPad, right? So everybody pay attention to the participants list. You're next on the participant list. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so I'm Tiffany, my pronouns are they, them. <coughs> I'm sorry, I'm coughing so much. Um, I am a settler on both sides. So my dad's family is <coughs> tied to Three Hills, Alberta. Um, so I have generational connections to colonial and Christian supremacist violence here and also in Nigeria. Um, and on my mom's side, my great grandma came <coughs> from Norway. And I actually had a conversation just last month with my mom about the fact that like my great grandma came here to find a life that was not possible for her at that time there. But then my mom's family, my, <coughs> my great grandfather, my grandfather, my uncles, they all build houses and Mom and I were talking about the fact that our family is like really actively contributed to and benefited <coughs> from displacement, like really actively. So on both sides of my family, I have really tight ties to a lot of violence in a lot of different places. 
Um, and this is my first time coming to the book club. <coughs> known Michelle for a while and been so thankful for that. Um, Jody's book is actually the first nonfiction book I've read in about two years. And this is one of the first events I've come to in about two years because uh, my dad died and then my health just like went into kid. <laughs> um, but I'm really glad that I came. This was incredible. And the book was fantastic. Like, um, yeah, have, I thought I <coughs> listened to the audiobook. Um, and yeah, it's one of the first nonfictions I've been able to read in a couple of years. And um, I came into it just feeling a little hopeless because <coughs> things are so bad, um, like in a lot of ways and places. And she was so honest about things being bad, but then so connected to things that might make something more possible, <coughs> like to there actually being potential for something to be better and there being this like rich, rich <coughs> body of knowledge that could, could do something and people who are connected to their values and acting on them despite these contexts that are so violent and seem so powerful and are so powerful I don't mean to like take away from that but just I am um, was really thankful so thanks for letting me be here and letting me cough at all of you for the last three minutes oh it's no worries thank you so much Tiffany for coming um Tiffany's been a big part of our world for a long time and it's been hard to know everybody's so sick and uh, not much you can do about it and kind of going through watching her trying to mourn her Morning's tough under the worst of circumstances, the best of circumstances. So it, it's hard watching friends go through that. So I'm grateful you're here today, Tiffany. I'm glad you can meet the crew. Um, so next actually is Carol, Kat, and then um, Rosemary, John, Kathy, Nicole, Shelley, Siri, Tiffany. Michelle, I feel like I've been saying a lot. And um, I guess I would just say, in terms of my family and my colonial upbringings, um, I am lily white, English, Scottish ancestry. So I come from a long line of um, settlers and um, conquerors. And I was fortunate to be raised by a mother who um, believed in equity. She was a single parent with three um, uh, daughters and she wanted the best for us. We were not taught racism. We were not taught inequity is, is anything women should tolerate. And um, my lifelong pursuit has been around like since the age of 18, I put my hands over my head, dove into feminism and never came back. So awesome. thanks pretty Caroline. much about me. Thank you. Thanks, Michelle. So Kat? Yep, I know. I, I, um, thank you. Um, I just want to say uh, condolences to you, Tiffany, about your father and hope you feel better soon. I'm glad you're not coughing at us in person. <laughs> um, sorry, bad joke. Um, I loved this book when I read of it. Unfortunately, I didn't have time to finish reading it, but um, 
just want to echo what everyone else has said about the, the honesty of it. And I love hearing that it's hopeful too, and um, that she lays out a really great way for us to be able to change Canadian politics and government by following Indigenous governance practices. That would be amazing. And I'm all for that because from what she says about the day-to-day -day workings, it sounds really icky and gross and <laughs> just, uh, yeah, what Kathy said, it just, you know, puts a knot in your stomach when you read about how politics work and what people have to do um, to be part of it. And hopefully, yeah, we just got to keep working on changing it. And it's hard, but we cannot give up and we can't give up hope. Awesome. Rosemary? Just that, um, again, someone else commented on, on the personal with the political. And I feel it was critical because for me, the personal had to do with her personal reflections. It was almost like a, a meditation on that whole process. It was very philosophical. And, that, and that's what you can grab onto, right? In terms of alternative ways of, of doing and being. So that's really all I, I wanted to add about the book, except I was saying to Don, Don, you have to read this book. You have to buy it. He said, I already bought it. So you'll be reading it too, which is oh, good. Great. Yeah. yeah. And Tiffany, Tiffany, is this a cold you have right now or is there something else going on? Oh, I have had lung issues for over a decade, but I'm pretty sure I caught COVID in um, March. And then I've been coughing like this for the last eight weeks. So I'm so sorry. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. So I think, um, John, I guess we're kind of back to square one here, folks. So um, it is technically eight o'clock and uh, the library did change us to kind of 6.30 to eight. And I think we've had a wonderful book club. And um, I did want to say we did have one of our members uh, send her regrets. Uh, we're in Calgary today. And there's been a, a weather issue, a weather warning issued for uh, flooding. Um, and because of the trauma of 2019 or 2013, um, she was very clear she couldn't come because they were going to empty their basement just as a precautionary, um, taking it very seriously, getting their documents together. Um, I'm not too sure which part of the city she's in, but obviously has experienced um, the 2013 flood. And um, yeah, not a fun time if you've you know lived through that, I tell you. For us, uh, we were able to, uh, like we're in the Northeast, so we're really far away from the river. And um, north of 16th, we've had flooding like as much as last year. And ever since they changed the ring road, the drainage has really messed up even some places here in Abbeydale. So I, I am very concerned about what might happen here in the next couple of days. Let's hope it's for nothing. And um, I just want to say thank you all for coming. Thank you all for sharing your thoughts about uh, the book. And we had a few newcomers, so thank you for coming. And hopefully uh, some of our, our other folks will come, but it's been wonderful six years. And I, I'm just grateful for those who've been able to come. And uh, hope tell, tell your friends, I'd love to see them come for the next ones. Um, 
if if that is something that is of interest to them. So, yeah. Any other lasting thoughts? <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Shelley. Go ahead, Kat. I just quickly, I just want to say how the disability community cut. They didn't. They said Lizzo that word spaz is not good, and she's actually taking it down and re making it better and taking the word spaz out. That's the way. Like. Did it? She didn't respond negatively. She said, "Oh, I did. You didn't like a lot of ableist words aren't people don't know, and so that's why I take an educational perspective. And that that I wish that everything would be that easy, but it's not. And apparently, I've actually just joined disability Twitter, so it was very interesting today. But I'm very happy that she responded popular. She says, as being a large woman, she's got the she's got the words. So it was just very touching." And a great example of being able to do it in a positive way without without all this goddamn fragility. Like I swear, I have no more space for it. Right, uh, Kat had your hand up. What would you like to I say? I just wanted to express my gratitude to you for all the emotional labor you put into this, and here's to many more years of book club. Right, right. Yes, let's and more new folks too. And welcome, welcome to you as well. Awesome. Thank you, Siri, for your comment here. Of uh, Thanks for giving your time and energy. Thanks, y'all, for your insights. So great to share a book with people who like, legitimately care. Everybody on Twitter is like, oh, I've read that book. It's such a great book. I'm like, oh, come on to my book club and tell us. 